You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. We've always prided ourselves on our investment in the community. But obviously, with the murder of George Floyd in the summer of 2020, we had a lot of internal conversations. So PNC pretty quickly announced a billion-dollar investment to help end systemic racism. We allowed regional presidents like me and my peers across the country to choose how we deploy that capital in our community. It's each of us in each of our communities deciding how do we partner to make the best impact on our community. From Columbus Business First, it's Women of Influence, an interview series showcasing some of the most inspiring women in the Central Ohio business community. I'm your host, Eleanor Kennedy, and today we're sharing my conversation with Mary Auk, PNC's Regional President for Central Ohio, a role she's held for nearly three years. Her ascension to the top local job at the Pittsburgh-based bank followed a 20-year career with the organization. That's not necessarily what Mary thought things would look like when she was in high school. I came about it maybe a little bit, not dir- as directly as you might think. When I was in high school, I swore I was going to be a CPA. Uh-huh. I went to college and majored in accounting. But my first uh, job in college, I actually started working for a bank here in town, in central Ohio. I literally opened the yellow pages and called banks and said, do you hire college students for <laughs> summer and winter breaks? And one of them said yes. So I worked for a bank over summer and winter breaks all the way through college, I changed my major from accounting to finance. And when I started to interview, I was basically looking at banking and insurance. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing is when I interviewed with banks, they all put me in the retail pile, Mm -hmm. right? You'd be a great retail branch manager because of your experience. And I think I knew at that point I was more suited to be in the corporate bank, Mm -hmm. but a job is a job, (laughs) right? And, And then I felt compelled to kind of prove myself in that role. So managed a few branches and then ultimately came into the corporate bank a little bit later in my career. Mm -hmm. So when I started in retail, it was very relationship focused, but I was still using my finance degree. As a branch manager, we pulled credit reports, we approved car loans, home equity loans, and I had a business book myself as Mm -hmm. well. And that really was appealing to me, very relationship focused. As my years in retail moved on, things became more centralized. And ultimately, you're you're managing a branch, which has its challenges. But I didn't feel like I was using my degree as much. It was a lot of nights and weekends. Mm-hmm. I say all the time to our team at PNC, our retail employees are the hardest working employees we have. They are on the front line every day. But I was, you know, wanted to go back and get my MBA. I had taken a turn through credit as mm-hmm. part of the development program. And I knew the the analysis side of it 
was fulfilling something that I needed, but I also love the relationship side. So to me, corporate banking really marries those two very well. Mm -hmm. You have to be a good relationship person, but knowing the nuts and bolts, how to read a financial statement is always going to benefit you. Mm -hmm. I asked Mary about the goals she set when she took on the presidential role and how they've evolved since she started. I had goals as a corporate banker. I was an individual contributor for many, many years. So our goal is always to grow new names, right? Whether that's new households in the retail space, new business clients, et cetera. But ultimately, we want to be that primary bank. Certainly in the corporate finance space, we may be one of multiple banks, but we want to be the go-to for advice, guidance, products and services, specialties, et cetera. So I think the, the goal stays the same. How we go about it is very different. That advisory capacity to really differentiate ourselves is different than bidding on business through an RFP process. Mm -hmm. You have to show the value of the relationship. And we want clients that look at us as a valued partner, a valued financial partner, not just as a commodity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mary has now spent two and a half years in her role as regional president. We talked about some of what she's learned over that stretch. I think what I've learned is the value of relationships. So, you know, I'm born and raised here in central Ohio. I've built my entire career with one bank. I was hired right out of school. And so it's different than transporting to a new market and taking over leadership of a new market. So while the pandemic did have its challenges, the relationships I was able to forge both internally and externally not just in the six months before the pandemic, but in the 25 years I've been in this market and building relationships, very grateful for. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine managing through the pandemic and being a new transplant to the Central Ohio community, although it's known as being very open and welcoming, (laughs) trying to do all that by Zoom, trying Mm -hmm. to do all that virtually just would have been, you know, much more challenging. So- that's, I've learned that relationships matter. I've known that all along, but being able to carry that through in this position has really allowed me to continue to move forward instead of pressing pause because there's a pandemic. Yes, the bulk of Mary's tenure as regional president has overlapped with the COVID-19 pandemic. That's meant overseeing a transition to a new way of work, both internally and from a client-facing perspective. Well, in the beginning, like most corporations, we did, you know, we sent everyone home. Our branches went to a drive-through only model. We did a lot of parking lot management to engage with our clients and make sure we were managing flow. But ultimately, most of it, when employees could work virtually, they did. I'll, I'll mention one important point is in the fall of 2018, we took our entire care center to a virtual. Mm-hmm. So we had already made that adjustment a year and a half prior to the pandemic. And I think that was a real saving grace for us. We knew how to hire people. We knew how to onboard virtually, train virtually, and engage employees. So that helped us. But you still have the branches on the front lines. Every day. In the beginning, we did kind of a a two week rotation, as a lot of corporations did, to slow or stop any spread. And then, you know, at some point in time, we said, okay, people can come back into the office. We are not yet requiring people to be in the office. We want to make sure we get through whatever vaccination protocols, et cetera. But a lot of us do come in. And Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm a three mile commute from my home to my office. And it's easier for me and it's better for me to be in the office. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's that opportunity really to interact. So Mm -hmm. the important thing is we wanted to stay in front of our clients and our prospects. And so as our clients and prospects are comfortable, we would prefer to meet in person. If they'd prefer to meet virtually, the important thing is that we stay 
connected, however Mm -hmm. that is. But that's our first priority. I used to worry a lot about getting people back into the office. And then I said, what's important is that we're doing what we need to do for our clients, our prospects, our communities, our employees. Let's worry about the office work, you know, Mm -hmm. when that time comes. And, you know, the first year of this, especially the Paycheck Protection Program was (laughs) such a big thing. What are you hearing from your clients today? What do they really need from their banking partner now? Yeah, that's a good question. We wish they needed more loans. (laughs) Loan demand is still soft in Mm -hmm. the environment because of all the stimulus put out there. Certainly, we had to deliver on PPP, right? That was first and foremost. That was when people were unsure of what the future would hold. Now that we're through PPP and almost all of the forgiveness process, I think what clients really need is advice and guidance. Mm -hmm. You know, every bank has products and services, but the way we're going to differentiate ourselves is how we get to know our clients, how we ingrain ourselves in their business and and guide them, whether that's a capital or borrowing strategy, whether that's a transition strategy and a family-owned, whether it's how to go electronic so that they're not doing things as manual as they used to. We have to deliver on all of those things, and that brings that means bringing a team that has that expertise. And that's really where we're focused, mm-hmm. is that advisory piece. The pandemic hasn't been the only major societal change to occur on Mary's Watch. We've also undergone a huge reckoning regarding race and social justice, something Mary says was already top of mind for PNC. We've always prided ourselves on our investment in the community, but obviously with the murder of George Floyd in the summer of 2020, we had a lot of internal conversations. What can we do to support our employees better? And what can we do to support our communities? So PNC pretty quickly announced a billion dollar investment to help end systemic racism. And at that point in time, I think what I'm most proud of is we stuck with what we call our Main Street model. We allowed regional presidents like me and my peers across the country to choose how we deploy that capital in our community. So it's not the bank as a whole partnering with one nationwide organization. It's each of us in each of our communities deciding how do we partner to make the best impact on our community? Where are those dollars needed? And and the uh, volunteerism piece is a big part of that, mm-hmm. too. Where dollars go, we also want our volunteers to go. So finding a good community partner, not only that will leverage those dollars in a fiscally responsible way and really make an impact, but also will welcome, you know, some of our employees. Our employees are allowed to volunteer up to 40 hours a year. And historically, we had done all that in the early childhood space. So opening up the opportunity for volunteerism in the racial and social justice space, I think, just helps our engagement of our employees. And it helps our employees really to to double down on their investment to make a difference in the community. We were charged with making meaty, you know, multi-year investments when it made sense. So one good example is Zora's House. I don't know if you Mm -hmm. know Elsie Johnson. We met Elsie virtually, you know, in the early part of the process. And she is such a big personality. It's hard not to just realize the impact that she's going to have. So we made a two-year grant to Zora's House, and we have approved for volunteers to be deployed there, not in person yet, but soon. And those dollars go to help the artisans, entrepreneurs, the Black females that are part of Zora's House. So, you know, recently we were part of the women of color-owned market and Mm -hmm. allowed support for that. And it was just great to see the community come out and support these women that really have built their own business and, and that ties directly to what we do on the, the business side, because we know that the biggest gap for business owners, 
female business owners and especially black female business owners is access to capital. Mm -hmm. So the other part of that is from a bank perspective, how do we deploy capital to these small businesses, to these black owned businesses, because they've been behind the curve. They have Mm -hmm. not been getting their fair share of capital. How do we get that into their hands to help them and help the community? Mm -hmm. Well, how do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) A lot of hard work. You know, we've always had a a focus on women in business over the past uh, two decades, 20 years plus that I've been with the bank. But we approach it a different way. We look at not just business owners, but we look at female decision makers. And we rebranded our Women in Business initiative. It's called Project 257. And that's because there was a study out there showing that it will take 257 years for women to catch up with men from a financial equality perspective. And so we want to accelerate that financial movement. So through Project 257, we focus on women-owned and women-of-color-owned businesses, and we look at how we can deploy capital, how we can make loans, whether that's on the small excuse me, small business side, in the commercial space, et cetera. And we've partnered with a group called CEO. It's mm-hmm. a national nonprofit, and they make zero-interest loans to women and non-binary entrepreneurs. And these zero-interest loans just help them to launch their, launch their business, but you have members of CEO that help make that decision. Mm-hmm. So we've named 50-plus, actually, CEO activators across the country. We have two here in central Ohio that will help review those grant applications, decide where the money goes. And interestingly, before we became involved with CEO, I think it was in 2020, the five that were awarded zero interest loans were all black entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So they're really making the impact that we want to see. So we do some of it directly through our business banking, commercial bank, some through our partnership with CEO, mm-hmm. but all under the, the banner of Project 257. Women of Influence is all about powerful women in business. That makes the local banking sector a rich one for us to mine, as Mary is one of several female market presidents locally. She told me that's a continuation of a strong legacy. Here in Central Ohio, we've always had very strong female leaders. Mm-hmm. And, and within the bank, you know, I grew up under some female leaders in our in our commercial space, in our wealth management or private banking space within PNC. And obviously, it's a highly competitive banking space. So people, unlike me, have made a lot of moves. And you know people <laughs> across the street because they were maybe with you or somewhere else uh-huh. before. But... You know, I think the industry has changed a lot. Certainly when I entered the banking industry in 1995, on the retail side of the bank, the corporate bank didn't necessarily have a lot of female leadership. Yeah, that's. I was trying to figure out how to ask that earlier. Yeah. It's part of the reason they saw you as a, a retail banker because that's where most of the women in the industry worked. Yeah, and, and, even, and even as I was exploring my career moves, people would say things like, well, what about treasury management? What about, you know, they, they were, mm-hmm. there were certain areas that were pegged as more, you know, more females gravitated towards. But I think that that stereotype has changed. Mm-hmm. And I think we have a nice balance in not only our bank and within different lines of business, but I think you've seen that in central Ohio. It does surprise my peers in other markets mm-hmm. when I say, actually, you know, I'll have the peer of mine who's a female says, well, you're the only female at the table in these meetings. Well, actually, no, in my market, you know, here's mm-hmm. here's what the market looks like. That is surprising to people outside the market. Mm-hmm. I guess my perspective was different because I have always built my career here. Mm-hmm. Although I did wonder if it would help me or hurt me when I was interviewing for this position. Mm-hmm. You know, to do I mention been. that? Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Just not everybody has that awareness that that's what the landscape of central Ohio mm. looks like. This is somewhat related, but not really. But I've never talked about this on the podcast. Mary and I are sorority sisters. <laughs> and so on that subject, I just wondered if you would talk about that a little bit. What uh, you think being a, a pie fi and having that sorority background, how has that influenced your professional life? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I have a 17-year-old daughter that's going through a lot. We're talking about this a lot these days. And part of me wonders if Greek life will still be around, I know, you yes. know. But for me, you know, I grew up here in central Ohio. I went to a smaller high school and I was very involved, but I wasn't necessarily seen as a leader. I wasn't the girl that ran for student council or was captain of the volleyball team. You know, I was a strong individual contributor. And when I went to Ohio University, I, honestly, I went to Ohio University because I was told you don't have to be in a sorority mm-hmm. there where other pe- places you do. But there, I found my spot there and people saw me as a leader. And people mm-hmm. tapped me and said, you might want to think about doing this. So I credit Pi Beta Phi, I credit my experience at Ohio University is really where I found and developed my leadership skills. And so now, you know, when I look at candidates coming out of school, you are looking for that leadership. It doesn't have to be Greek life, mm-hmm. but that organizational leadership in your college years, I think, really sets people up for success. Mm-hmm. So where you find it is different for many people, but I think it is a it, it was a clear indicator for me. And it really, I think, helped bolster my confidence, Mm -hmm. my comfort in my own skin to be able to stand up in front of a group or make hard decisions or tell people things they they didn't like to hear. I Mm -hmm. mean, it it was a life lesson for me. It really was. Yeah. I mean, obviously fully aware of the complicated conversations about Greek life, but Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's it's nice to spend a little time on the positive attributes too. Um, and, And yes, you're totally right that you can get that leadership in so many different places in college. So, But you have to be careful with the stigma of it, right? Yeah, I worried yeah. about putting it on my resume. Mm-hmm. Would people think of this as a positive or would they think of it as a negative? Yeah, I feel like it was so kind of regional for mm-hmm. me when I was coming out of college. You know, where is this job? What, what might these people's expectations be? Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit complicated. Well, kind of on that subject, transitioning to just getting to know a little bit more about you. You've had a super stressful week. How do you unwind? <laughs> Uh, by going to some of my favorite Columbus restaurants is normally what I would say. So the pandemic definitely shifted that. We were we were never a carryout family before, but we had to we had to adapt to. No, honestly, spending time with family and friends. Obviously, I grew up here, so I have a lot of my immediate family here. Two young daughters. I love to golf. I'm trying to get my seventh grader more into golf so that we can golf together. And traveling and really just exploring here in central Ohio. I mean, the city has come such a long way in the years that I have lived here. So just exploring all that Columbus has to offer, I think, is a a great opportunity and a great way for us to reinvest Mm -hmm. in the community as well. Have you always been a golfer? When did you get into that? No, when I came into corporate banking, at that point in time, you had to be a golfer. Uh So joined a women's ladies golf league. And interestingly, one of the women that that played with me at that point in time now works for the bank. So it's interesting that our our paths have crossed again. But, you know, we we don't do as much of it nearly as much as we used to. Uh You know, it's hard to hard to get clients and prospects out and get them to give up that time. So yeah. I really do it more socially. My uh-huh. husband's a, a golfer. My daughter now is getting into it, but 
no, just, not always. I wish someone would have made me uh, pick up a club when I was 11 or 12. But, but yeah, you're the, the second female banker I've had on here who is a golfer. And I feel like that is says something about, the, you know, what you need to do to, to move up. Well, in the or what, father, at one time you needed to My do father always told me, my father was old school, is old school, and would say you need to either play golf or tennis because mm-hmm. a lot of business happens on the golf course and the tennis court. I don't know that I've seen as much happen on the tennis court. <laughs> so I picked golf, I guess. Uh-huh, yeah, well, a little easier on the court. For those of us who aren't quite as comfortable on the links, Mary shared a few other pieces of advice. I think the biggest thing uh, for me is, you know, who you surround yourself with, right? I think in this business and in, in finance in general for women, we talk a lot about mentorship, but I'd like to talk a lot about sponsorship because I do think that how I got to where I am today, a lot of times was by doing really well in the position that I was in and making relationships with people I interacted with. So then when an opportunity was present and there's a group of people in a room with the door closed and I'm not in that room, what are they saying about me? So your brand, your reputation, you know, how you carry yourself. I was asked for another event about a a quote and my daughter kind of laughed at me. The quote I used is something like, you know, act in a way that if someone ever said something bad about you, no one would believe it. Mm. And she's like, so you're a goody two-shoes? No, that's not what it's about. It's about, you know, your your honor and your reputation and your values. And I do think that, you know, you have to keep those in check all the way through the career that you build. But one way to do that is surrounding yourself with people that you trust mm. and that you think highly of. And if they think highly of you, then they sponsor you. And I think that goes a long way. Oh, well, I think that's great advice, and I will keep that quote in mind. In my own <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mary. It was really great to chat with you. Thank you, Eleanor. Great to spend time with you. And a big thanks to you all for listening to Women of Influence from Columbus Business First. Make sure you're following the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll be notified of each new episode we post. Thanks once again to Mary Ock for sharing her time and her wisdom with us. I'm Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First, and this has been Women of Influence. See you next time.